So we're going to hear some, from some more people in just a moment. But before we do, I want to read you a letter. And uh, it's not serious. Don't worry, relax. It's not one of those ones that, you know, a letter to the pastor and everyone's like, oh, no. Uh, so this is a letter. Some of you heard me, have heard me share this before. This is a letter uh, that a man sent to his insurance company. And uh, he was a, a bricklayer, and he'd had an accident, and he put in a claim, a personal injury claim, and they asked him to send more information on what happened. And so this is the letter that he wrote. Are you ready? Yeah. Are you sitting comfortably? Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Dear sirs, I'm writing in response to your request concerning clarification of the information I supplied on the insurance floor, which asked for the cause of my injury. I answered, trying to do the job alone. But I trust that the following more detailed explanation will be sufficient. I'm a bricklayer by trade. And on the date of the injury, I was working alone, laying brick around the top of a three-story building. When I finished the job, I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. And rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to put them into a barrel and then lower them by a pulley that was fastened to the top of the building down to the floor. I secured the end of the rope at ground level and I went back up to the top of the building, loaded the bricks into the barrel and I pushed the barrel over the side. Everyone got the picture in your mind so far? Okay, just let your imagination go with this one. I then went back down to the ground and I untied the rope, holding it securely to ensure the slow descent of the barrel. Please note, I weigh 143 pounds and the barrel now weighed over 500 pounds. At the shock of being jerked off the ground so swiftly by the 500 pounds of brick in the barrel, I lost my presence of mind and I forgot to let go of the rope. Between the second and third floor, as I shot up, I met the barrel coming down, which accounts for the bruises and the lacerations on my body and the broken arm. Fortunately, I, I retained enough presence of mind to maintain my tight hold on the rope, and I proceeded rapidly up the side of the building, not stopping until my right hand was jammed in the pulley. This accounts for my broken thumb. Despite the pain, I continued to hold tightly to the rope. But unfortunately, at approximately the same time, the barrel hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of bricks, the barrel now weighed only 50 pounds. I remind you again, I weigh 145 pounds and I suddenly began a very rapid descent. In the vicinity of the second floor, I met the barrel coming back up, which explains my broken leg and the wounds to my lower body. Slowed only slightly, I continued my descent and landed perfectly on top of the pile of bricks. Fortunately, I suffered only bruising of the back, but I'm sorry to report, however, that at this point, again, I lost my presence of mind and I let go of the rope. The barrel descended upon me with great speed, breaking two of my ribs. I trust this answers your concern. Please note that I'm no longer trying to do the job alone. Lesson there. Lesson in life and lesson in faith. The very, very first thing that we read in the Bible that is not good, we read in Genesis 2.18, it says it's not good that man is alone. And God creates Eve uh, as a helper 
Uh, it's, the, it's the Hebrew word Isaiah, and, and it doesn't mean someone to iron his shirts or anything like that. It literally means someone who will come alongside him to help him become everything that he was created to be, to encourage him, to strengthen him, to cheer him on. And Eve was to be this for Adam. Adam was to be this for Eve. And right into the very heart of creation, that's how it's always supposed to be for each other. We need a relationship with God. We were created to know him and to live for him. We need that, but we also need relationship with each other. It is not good for us to do life alone, and it is certainly not good to do faith alone. One of the early church fathers once said this, that the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. You cannot do this following Jesus thing by yourself. We are created to do it in community. And now the cornerstone, the central figure of our faith, as we know, is Jesus Christ. We, we've been exploring this series, Disciple Maker Series, over the last three or four months, that we are called to be disciples, which means apprentices, that we are becoming more like Jesus with the Holy Spirit helping us, and then we're helping other people become more like Jesus. And what's interesting is if you look at the three years where Jesus was going around telling people about how to be restored into a relationship with God, uh, telling people the good news, feeding people, healing people, raising the dead, all these incredible things. Despite all of these great things he was doing in the world, Jesus himself models to us that we have to be in close relationship with other people. Because, because there are challenges in the world. And, and what we see are these different ways that Jesus expresses and models to us the key relationships we need to grow in faith and grow in life. And, and as we go into our autumn term, it's these relationships that we want to encourage every single one of us to embrace as we step into what we're calling our little discipleship experiment. Now, there are four connections that we see that Jesus had in the, uh, in the New Testament. Four relational connections that start off very small and they get bigger. And the first is he has this daily, if not more often, even within a day, this daily connection with his Father, with God in prayer. Like Jesus, who we believe is fully God, but fully man, he understood how important it was to have time aside every single day to be with his father. And I know that preachers kind of always say this thing, but it is true, isn't it? That if Jesus needed that, if Jesus needed that separation, that escape to be with his father in prayer and listening and, and, and drawing close, then how much more do we need it? In Luke chapter 5, verse 15 to 16, Jesus has just healed this guy of leprosy. It's amazing what happens. And he, at the end of it, in the early part of his ministry, he tells this guy he's just healed, look, don't, don't go and tell loads of people, because in the early few months, he wasn't a, wanting to attract loads of attention to himself. He says, just go and show yourself to the priest, and he'll confirm that you're well, and then you can be back integrated into community. That's, by the way, what Jesus' healings were about. It wasn't just being good news to the person physically, but, but by healing this leper, he was basically giving him a shot at life again to be back in community. And, but read what happens. Jesus says, don't tell anyone. Luke 5, 15 to 16, despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But, everyone say but. Okay, but Jesus often withdrew 
to the wilderness for prayer. And so we, we get this whole mix in the life of Jesus of fruitfulness and activity and miracles and supernatural and salvation. But often, everyone say often. Okay, good. Often he retreated to pray. God, what are you doing? Father, where are you directing me? Make sure, making sure, like Amy was saying to us earlier, that he's rooted in his identity and not the trappings of success. Like this autumn... We want to reset when it comes to building daily practices of being with God. And so you'll see right at, at the back, there's this, this little book that, that I wrote a few years ago, Zio. Uh, Zio, by the way, if you're new, it means passion. It's a Greek word meaning passion, and you'll find the description of it here. This is 42 very short daily readings on Romans 12 which is a great little chapter in the New Testament that shows us what it means to be in healthy relationship with God, healthy relationship with ourselves, and healthy relationship with other people. And so from Monday the 19th of September, not yet, Monday the 19th of September, as a whole church, we, we want to go on a journey for six weeks, 42 days, to basically commit together that we're going to read a little chapter a day and we're going to do the little prayer exercise. And if we're up for the challenge, put it into practice. Just to build this habit. Now, in order to show you how simple this is, I'm actually going to read you the first chapter. So you get a sense of how short this is. Okay? It's not going to take long. Because I just want to encourage you. Let's do this. Okay? Let's do this. So are you, are you ready? Okay. Turn to the person next to you and say, get ready. Okay. Um, this is where I should be wearing different glasses. Okay, this is chapter 1, and it just looks at the first part of Romans 12, verse 1. It's very short. Don't think, I'm not keeping you. It's that long. Exactly. And the chapter title is this. What has God ever done for us? Here's the text that we're going to study. Romans 12, chapter 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done to you. So the question is, what's God done for us? Here's the little reflection. The answers are endless. Did you know that the very fact that you woke up today with breath in your body is a gift from God? Paul reminds us in Acts 17 verse 21, in him we live and move and exist. And that's before we even get started on the fact that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection mean that you all and I can be forgiven from our past, experience freedom in our present, and be assured of a great future with God for all eternity. Now that is something to be thankful for. Amen? It's no surprise, therefore, that Paul kicks off Romans 12 essentially by saying, come on, people, God has given everything so that you can have life. I beg, plead, urge, and challenge you to fully give your life to him. It's the only right response. In Matthew, Jesus asks, is asked, which is the most important commandment? What's numero uno? And he replies, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. And the first, this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus, like Paul, is commanding us to love God with every ounce of our being, to love others compassionately, 
and love ourselves correctly. But what does that look like in practice? Our Zio adventure in the 41 days left to go will show us what it looks like to say a big yes to God. That's the first chapter. Two or three minutes. Now, if anyone tells you you don't have two or three minutes to just read something like that and take a bit of time to reflect, then you're telling fibbies. We've all got time. Now, what I want you to do is for the next two minutes, I want you to turn to someone next to you and just say, what struck you about that reading and that thought? Now, if you don't want, I know that sometimes when the person at the front says this, some of us really don't want to do that. And I understand that. Like, we don't want to do that. So if you close your eyes, fold your arms and hum very loudly, then the people around you. But it's fine if you don't want to talk. But just for the next two minutes, what struck you about that? Okay, that, that opening little verse and some of those reflections. Okay, anything that struck you, over to you. One minute, just going to give you one minute, go. Okay, 30 more seconds. Okay, so, now we might do a little bit more of this in future gatherings because isn't it great? I know, I, I totally understand. Let me be honest. When I go to seminars and talks and someone says, talk to the person next to you, sometimes I'm like, oh, I really don't want to do that. Uh, and then I remember it's my wife and I think that I should. <laughs> just teasing. Burnt dinner later that I'll be making. Just, I, I know, I know, I know. Uh, can I have dinner at anyone's house today? Is that, is that, you know? No, wow. There's a lover. I, I receive that hand in the name of Jesus. I see that hand. Okay. <laughs> Stop it. Goodness me. We read the word. We don't put it into practice. So... So you've got two ways of doing this. 19th of September, you can either grab one of these. If you can make, there's some at the back. Uh, today, we're going to get more. So you can either grab one of these. If you can make a donation, uh, that's great. It will just go into to Zio. It's not going to me. Um, so if you can make a donation of two, three, five pounds maximum, great. But if you can't, don't worry. Uh, if you want to do that at a future time, fair enough. But you'll also see on your emails that there's, we've got it as a PDF as well. So you can literally just click it and read it on your phone. But I really want to encourage you guys to do this. I really want to encourage you guys to do this. This chapter is such a powerful chapter for us to understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He got four weeks to get in the zone on it. And, and the goal, ultimately, let me be clear, of daily times with Jesus, it gives you a little prayer to pray, gives you something to chew over, something to talk about to someone else. The goal is not to do the study. The goal is to get close to Jesus. That's why we pray, that's why we read the Bible, that's why we do all these things. The goal is not, I read my Bible today. That's not the goal. The goal is, I want to get to know Jesus better. 
And so I really want to encourage you, because what we hope is, by the end of this journey in the autumn, whether we're using this or not, but all of us start to build a habit, even for five or six minutes a day, of being with Jesus. Jesus did it, we're going to do it too. Okay, the second relationship he had, so he had this one-on-one with the Father, but then Jesus had this very close relationship with three guys, and their names were? Peter, James, and John. Now, because Jesus understands something, that if you really want to have great influence, the smaller the number of people that you invest in, the greater the influence that you'll have. And so he invested a lot of time in Peter, James, and John. They, they were like what we would call his huddle, his little group. And they had things, uh, experiences with Jesus that none of the other disciples had. If you look later at Luke chapter 8, they're the ones who see Jesus healing, raising from the dead Jairus' daughter. None of the other disciples get to see that. They see Jesus at his best in Matthew 17 when Jesus is transfigured on a mountain. And then they see Jesus at his worst when he's terrified in the Garden of Gethsemane knowing he's about to be crucified. These guys get this window. And so Jesus knows that it's great to have this, but actually just like you found, hopefully some of those little conversations you just had with the person around you, some of you found, oh, actually, that was helpful. It was, it was good to, to do that. But you couldn't have done that with a whole group of people. And so Jesus knows how powerful small is. And that's why this term, we're, we're going to model ourselves on what Jesus did and say what, what, what would be interesting is if all of us try to find two or three other people who once a week, either on a phone call, on a WhatsApp, in person, on a Zoom, we basically hung out to have a little huddle to see what Jesus is saying and doing, even, even through this and other things. Now, if you've been part of Zio, you'll know that we, we've done huddles in the past, but we want to do a bit of a reset and say, let's see what would happen if we could hang out with two or three people once a week, just for an hour, to just say, what, what's God saying to you? How can I cheer you on? How can I pray? Now, the young adults have stolen a march on this because they've been doing huddles for quite a while. And I'm going to ask you to give a big shout out to the amazing Bonnie, who's going to come and tell us about the impact huddle has. Thanks, Bon. Come on up. Amazing leader on satellites as well. Thank you. Fantastic, fantastic. So, um, the young adults have been doing huddles for a little while. Yes. Can you tell us um, what kind of stuff happens in the huddle that you're in? Like, how many people and what do you, what do, you do? Yeah, um, so huddles are great. I'm in two, um, because one wasn't Just enough. Just <laughs> um, So, huddles are small groups. There's four to five of you. Um, we meet kind of once a month, normally. Um, we read a Bible verse, and then we talk about how this relates to God and how it relates to people, how it relates to the world. Um, myself and my huddles enjoy food quite a lot. So nice. we are working our way around the Hitchin restaurants um, when we do our huddles. So um, yeah, it's a good time to come together, grow in friendship, um, have some good foods, and yeah, draw closer to God. Fantastic. So Bonnie, um why should people consider just being, even just for six weeks, giving this huddle thing a go? Why would you say, give it a go? I think it's just such a great opportunity to meet in smaller groups, get to know people a lot better on a more personal, intimate level, um, really grow into the words and debate and discuss, um, and just go into more detail without that pressure of 
you're in the congregation, you know? So. Amazing. Thank you, Bonnie. Amazing. Thank you. You're amazing. That's perfect. Thank you so much. So again, this autumn, we want to do what Jesus did because he thought this was really important. And so, again, if you're, if you're part of Zio, you should have seen an email on this. You can go to a link and you can either say if you're in a huddle, you may have some people already that you think you might say to them, you know, would you be up for doing this with me? We, we're going to ask you to try to do it once a week because there are no other big Zio groups in the week. Um, with three or, three or four people. Three is a good number. You can have a little bit more than that if you need to. And, uh, but if, you're, if you want to be part of a huddle, and you, but you, you don't know how to do that, then again, if you just put, put, fill in the website stuff that we've got, then we'll help you form a huddle. And, uh, and we're aware that there may be some of the challenges of, of someone coming up to you and saying, oh, would you be in a huddle with me, and you're already in a huddle with someone else. So let's choose not to be offended, but just... Just roll with this. Give this a go. And if you've got questions or any concerns about this, please come back to me or Amy or, uh, or any of the leadership team members, Alex, Celine, Jamoki, and Paul Rigby, because we, we really want to just give this a go and see what happens. It, it worked for Jesus and the disciples. It could work for us. So, that's, so we've got a one-on-one relationship with God, some people who hopefully will become friends that we can talk about life with. And then the third relational connection that we see obviously with Jesus is his investment in the 12 disciples so we've got the one the three and then the 12 and again if you look at Matthew chapter 12 we see where Jesus uh, chooses and commissions his 12 disciples and these guys are going to do life with him and he's going to send them out on mission field and uh, and and again there's this sense of intimacy with Jesus to propel them into the world. Intimacy with Jesus, propelling them into the world. And, and that essentially is the journey that we're exploring again this autumn with what we call Church at Home. Again, if you're new to Zio, we have on the first and the third Sunday of every month, we, uh, we gather here, and, uh, which we love. And this is, I'll talk about the dynamic of this in the fourth area in a moment. But in, the, uh, in week two and four, we're moving out again from September to have what we call church at home. Gatherings of 12 to 20, sometimes six people meeting in a home, although it could be, you could meet somewhere else if you wanted to meet in a community facility or a coffee shop or what have you, and, uh, and to do church at home. And to explore that different dynamic of doing life together. And the reason that, that we've got it on the alternating Sundays is because we realize how important people's time are. And we're, so we're just prioritizing these things to say, let's go for gathered and then let's scatter in church at homes. And um, I've invited Becky to come and tell us a little bit about her church at home experience um, as well. So give her a big shout out. Hello. Hey, Becky. Everyone say hi, Becky. <laughs> so uh, last time we had 16 church at homes, five were actually in people's homes, and then JB and Lindsay very kindly ran an online one for people who still couldn't meet face-to-face. You were in Neil and Caroline's. I was, yeah. Uh, so tell us about that. How did that work? Um, well, we met on um, a Sunday at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I take my youngest teenager with me, so 2 o'clock in the afternoon really works. <laughs> um, so I was very thankful for that. Um, but we just, we would meet at Caroline Neal's. Um, the first sort of half hour, we'd just come in and chat and catch up with each other. Um, and then there would be a specific time where we'd sit down um, and go through the um, material that we were given. 
the unique thing about our group was that, um, and this is why I specifically signed up to theirs, is that the teenagers, because we all are parents of teenagers, would go out into a separate part of the house or into the garden, and they would run their own study. So they'd have their own questions, they would answer them in their own way, without adult influence, without, oh, well, mum thinks this, so I think this, you know. Um, and they'd have their own little time together. And we, as adults, would have our own time together. And as a parent of two teenagers, actually, that is incredible, because I had the support of other parents there. And we can, as well as what we were studying, we can talk about things like, what do you do when this happens? Am I doing the right thing? Do you know? And we can just cheer each other on. Right. And equally, the kids can sit together. And I know Emily won't mind me saying this, but for her, she gets to go and sit with other kids who don't ridicule her because she believes in God. She can speak quite freely about her faith and be very open. And that's not something they get to do at school, which is very sad. So actually, to have the church home environment for her it's just brilliant. And then you all feed back at the end, don't you? We do. We come back together and um, we're quite ashamed, actually, because um, the young people come back with pages and pages of notes that they have made. And seriously, what they get out of this is just incredible. If you've got teenagers, seriously, come to our group because they just, they get more out of it than, I mean, they just, it just comes out of them. And we stand there as in awe as adults going, how did you even get that? Um, but we feed back together so that we hear each other's point of view. And I think that's one of the great things about church at home is that I can read the Bible and get something out of it, but you're going to get something different. You're going to get something different. And actually, when you get together with other people, you hear their perspective on it, and it just makes you think differently. And you might see something you've never seen before, and that might just speak to your heart about a problem you've had. So it's... I, I just can't big it up enough. I like, need a little banner that says, do church at home. Well, I was about to ask you, why should people do church at home? But I, think I can't you just, just answer that. that. Yeah, so big shout out to Becky. Thanks ever so much, Becky. We're nearly done. So, um, so we're relaunching church at home in the autumn to, again, look at that dynamic of coming together um, on an alternating Sunday. And I want to encourage you, sign up. But even more so, like we had 15 in-person church at homes, we would love to have 20 this time so that there's more space for people. Um, it's ever so easy to run a church at home. We literally provide the resources to do it. We provide even video material that you can just watch it and just chat about it. It is so, so simple. Uh, there are, some, there are some big lessons that we've learned in the, uh, in the first term, particularly for those who have families with younger children, and we're looking to make some improvements for that in the autumn. But, uh, but if you're interested in running a church at home again, you should see on an email I sent yesterday about a meeting that you can connect with in September to find out more, or just message me to say, I'm, I'm up for just next term trying to host a church at home, either in my home or in someone else's is home, okay? It's a big deal. I mean, when I say it's simple, I'm, I recognize, we recognize it's a massive deal to open up your home uh, what will be six or seven times in the next term and, and host people. And, and that's why some people are doing it in someone's house and then maybe alternating to another house. But if you're interested in being involved, leading, hosting in any way, or if you've just got a house that you think, I'm happy to be hosted in my house, but I need someone else to facilitate it. That too would be great. So please do think about that. And then, of course, the last gathering that we see of, with Jesus 
is, is, is in the larger crowds. Now, that includes discipleship in, in Luke chapter 10. We have him with the 72. In Acts chapter 1, there's 120 gathered. And then there's the big missional stuff out in the world as well. And that's, that's why we gather. We, we recognize this kind of gathering is massively important. There is something about this dynamic of coming together for celebration, cheering each other on, sending out into the world. It's what Jesus did with the 72 and 120, and it's what we want to do as well. And so as we step into the autumn, I really just want to encourage you to think about those four things and your response to them. Whether you're new to Zio or whether you've been to Zio for a long time, Jesus knew that he couldn't do this stuff alone. And, and you and I all know there's incredible pressure out in the world. There's in, incredible pressures in our lives. Like, you know, we, we are... I was going to say indoctrinated, but we almost are by media and social media, which we're looking at all the time. And here we are snatching an hour or so a week to try to bring some influence. Like, is that going to be enough? And so that's why these connection points of, of time with Jesus every day, making some small friendships that can cheer us on and help us every week, Gathering together in, a, in a, a more intimate but larger environment in a home or a coffee shop or something where we can do church at home, where we can still debate and discuss and pray for each other. And then having these wonderful celebratory moments when we draw close to God together and see him do something very special in our midst. I, I want to really encourage you, this term, like I said this a few weeks ago, throw yourself into these things in the autumn term. Give it a go. Try and commit as much. Obviously, if you're ill or you're working or on holiday, that's different. But try to recalibrate the whole of your diary into these things for this term and see what God will do. And if you, get, if you throw yourself into all of these things and you find that these things that work for Jesus don't work for you, then I will give you 100 pounds. But I'm doing that on the basis that I know it's going to work and I'm skint. <laughs> I'm so convinced that these practices of togetherness will inspire and equip us for what we then do out in the world. We need the intimacy of time with him and with each other in order for us to make the difference in the world. And so with that, let's stand, shall we? And then we'll, um, guys, you want to come up? We'll do our closing song and we need to finish. Thank you, Father. Let's, let's just be still just for a moment. Maybe just close your eyes just for a second. How exciting it is to hear what God's doing in the lives of our children, our young people, in these huddles, in church at home, in, in this moment. But we're just scratching the surface. There's so much more that God wants to do. So much more he wants to do. So much more he wants to do. And I, I, I don't want to manipulate anything. I don't want to shame or guilt anyone into anything. Like if you want to get involved in some of these things, but you just don't know how to do it, please come and talk to us. We recognize there are some challenges. We want to figure this out together. But could you in this moment just say, Holy Spirit, I'm open. I'm open. I'm open, Lord. 
Maybe I do need a diary reset. Maybe I do need to reprioritize some things that are different. That may be a little bit hard at first, but they'll be good for me. Holy Spirit, I'm open. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father. Lord, we, we thank you. Not only do you love us, not only are you good, but you love to draw close to us. You created us for that closeness with you, but also with each other. And we're so aware that the pressures of life And the real enemy we face wants to do everything possible to keep us from you and keep us from each other. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to shift that in this year of shift. Lord, hear the cry of our heart today, Holy Spirit. Help us to be open to what you want to do. We're thankful for all that's been. Lead us into what's coming in the months ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.